0: May God bless the memory of those who perished in Toledo.
1: It was Dayton? Dayton, Ohio, Mr. President. Not that you care. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight I got the feeling that something right I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left of me to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you yep yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica with Radio in Los Angeles this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA 98.7 in Santa Barbara 93.7 in San Diego 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake California Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Uh, Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, right next to Dayton's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me... From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us on uh, a grim day at the, uh, hopefully, I don't want to say the beginning of a grim week, but it has certainly been a grim weekend. Last Monday, we started off this show with news about a mass shooting by a white nationalist at a food festival in Gilroy, California, which killed four and wounded 12 On Tuesday, then, we kicked off with a mass shooting by a disgruntled employee at a Walmart in Mississippi that killed two and injured a responding police officer. Today, sadly, shamefully, we are forced to lead off with a mass shooting by a white nationalist at a Walmart, this one in El Paso, Texas. That killed 22 people. 20 were announced dead on uh, Sunday. Two more victims apparently died on Monday in a mass shooting that also wounded two dozen others. And that was on Saturday before another mass shooting that night or early Sunday morning in which 10 people were killed and 27 others were wounded in Dayton, Ohio. It was indeed another very difficult weekend in America. We uh, have all lived over the past two decades while this nation has spent hundreds of billions of dollars on things supposedly related to national security. We've been asked to give up quite a bit in that bargain by elected and unaffected elected officials alike of uh, both parties, but particularly by Republicans who have spent years hiding behind claims of national security as reason for one thing after another, one freedom after another, that we have been asked, we have been told that we must give up in exchange for national security. In most cases, the people of the nation have done so willingly, if begrudgingly at times, whether it's taking off our shoes or giving up liquids at airport security lines, foregoing public information that the public should have a right to see, but has not been allowed to review under the guise of national security. Various curbs sometimes implemented violently by law enforcement officials on freedom of speech and freedom of assembly in the name of so-called national security. But on the top three issues that actually most directly and immediately and obviously affect our national security, climate change, gun violence, and the sanctity of public elections at the very core of our system of representative democracy, those same Republicans have done nothing or less than nothing. Frequently uh, taking action to make all three of those things, those actual national security issues, arguably worse, not better, over those same two decades. All while bankrupting the country both literally and morally at the same time. At the mass shooting by a 21 year old white American male in El Paso on Saturday, law enforcement was very quick to arrive on the scene. They were there within six minutes of the first 911 call. By then, in those six minutes, the shooter, who murdered 22 and injured dozens others with a military style assault rifle and several extended magazines, had already left the scene. All of that damage in six minutes with enough time to escape and get away, drive away, before authorities arrived and found him eventually. The weapon and the magazines were all purchased legally under Texas law by the man who lived in Dallas and drove hundreds of miles to the border in El Paso to stop what, like the President of the United States, described as a, quote, invasion of our country by immigrants. At the mass shooting by a 24-year-old white American male in Dayton, Ohio, police responded within one minute, killing the shooter who was able to gun down nine and wound 27 others in less than 60 seconds with his 100-round drum magazine. The Dayton, Ohio, police chief says the suspect owned two guns using one during the attack, leaving the other one in his vehicle. One was ordered online from Texas, the chief said from Texas, none of which not the 100 round drum magazine or the online purchase of a weapon of mass destruction is actually illegal in this in the state of Ohio. Here's how uh, CNN's Jake Tapper opened Sunday's State of the Union program on CNN as none of the major Republican officials representing Texas or Ohio were willing to face the public the morning after the two massacres to respond to two preventable major national tragedies, both involving gun violence and domestic homegrown white terrorism and both on the same deadly day in America on Saturday.
2: I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is a combination of horrified and enraged. Enraged by the lack of effort by our leaders to do anything about that, which continues to horrify us, which today is the latest awful news. Two mass shootings in this country, about 13 hours apart. First on Saturday, a massacre in El Paso, Texas, and authorities are investigating a document Posted online and believed to have been written by the suspected terrorist, the document is filled with white nationalist language and racist hatred towards immigrants and specifically towards Latinos. And then, as if that weren't horrifying enough, shortly after 1 a.m. on Sunday morning, a gunman opened fire outdoors in a Dayton, Ohio business and entertainment district. That gunman wore body armor and fired what's called a long gun. Moments ago, President Trump tweeted out prayers for the people of El Paso and the people of Dayton. Yesterday, he called the El Paso shooting, quote, an act of cowardice. This morning, lawmakers and presidential candidates already are beginning to call for change. We should note that we invited the Republican governor, lieutenant governor, and both Republican U.S. senators representing Texas to join us this morning. They all declined. The Republican governor of Ohio also declined. We also asked the White House to provide someone... To discuss these shootings, that request, too, was declined.
1: And there is your act of cowardice in his inaugural address in January of 2017. Donald Trump repeatedly cited what he described as, quote, American carnage that he was there, he said, to put an end to. This, uh, however, uh, gun violence in American cities by Americans, white, right wing domestic terrorists who support this president's agenda, that apparently was not the American carnage that he was referring to, despite the epidemic that this nation has faced both before but particularly after he was sworn in as president and has subsequently taken virtually no action whatsoever to end this American carnage, despite various promises at various, after various mass shootings to do so. USA Today noted on Sunday that El Paso and Dayton make 251 mass shootings in the U.S. in 216 days. That's right, more shootings than days in the year so far. On Sunday, 24 hours after the mass shooting by the white nationalist in El Paso, the president of the United States, after tweeting the usual thoughts and prayers a day earlier, finally weighed in with comments to the media on the two mass shootings. He said, we've done actually a lot, though he didn't specify what he had done before conceding, quote, perhaps more has to be done. The president, who has regularly used incendiary racist language and outright calls for violence at rallies of his across the country, added, quote, hate has no place in our country and we're going to take care of it. In Texas, some Republican politicians, unlike the president of the United States, were able to cobble together words that at least somewhat reflected the reality of the situation. Somewhat. Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush. Nephew of former President George W. Bush issued a statement Saturday denouncing the uh, El Paso attack and declaring that, quote, all terrorism must be stopped. He tweeted, quote, I believe fighting terrorism remains a national priority, and that should include standing firm against white terrorism here in the U.S. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas pointed to his own heritage as the son of a Cuban immigrant and described himself as, quote, deeply horrified by the hateful anti-Hispanic bigotry contained in that manifesto that investigators believe was posted online by the suspect uh, in El Paso. Cruz said in a tweet, quote, what we saw yesterday was a heinous act of terrorism and white supremacy. Nonetheless, Cruz uh, reflecting that cowardice that Trump ascribed to the El Paso shooter provided no suggestions for steps that Congress might take to prevent such preventable shootings in the future. Ohio's Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown wrote in a tweet Sunday that thoughts and prayers are not enough. We have a responsibility to act. He said we are also angry, angry that after shooting, after shooting, politicians in Washington and Columbus refused to pass sensible gun safety laws to protect our communities. I hope that Senator Mitch McConnell would bring the Senate back tomorrow and pass the background check bill and send it to the president. The president must sign it, period, Brown told CNN's Jake Tapper on State of the Union, where Republican officials from Ohio had refused to appear. Brown's call Sunday adds to a growing chorus of Democratic and progressive lawmakers who have demanded action on gun reform in the aftermath of a tragedy. Brown told Tapper... The House of Representatives has passed background check legislation the the Senate could meet tomorrow. McConnell, however, has not called lawmakers back from recess for an emergency session, but did tweet on Saturday that the entire nation is horrified by today's senseless violence, adding Elaine's and my prayers go out to the victims of this terrible violence and the brave first responders who charged into harm's way. He did not note that those brave first responders were forced to charge into the way of a homegrown white nationalist domestic terrorist with a legally purchased military-style assault rifle. A number of other lawmakers joined Brown's call on Sunday for McConnell to act on gun control legislation, including Ohio's conservative Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan, also a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate. Ryan told Fox News on Sunday... That we have got to ban these assault weapons. In a statement, Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the Republican Senate must stop their outrageous obstruction and join the House to put an end to the horror and bloodshed that gun violence inflicts every day in America. Enough is enough, she said. And Democratic Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer tweeted that uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell must, quote, must call the Senate back for an emergency session to put the House passed universal background checks legislation on the Senate floor for debate and vote immediately. Mind you, the universal background checks legislation is about the lowest hanging fruit you could possibly pass at this point. Other presidential candidates rang in as well. Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Minnesota Democrat, wrote in a tweet Sunday that she is ready to go back tomorrow to take legislative action. Inaction, she said, is unacceptable. The time for passing legislation is now. Congress has not passed legislation limiting semi-automatic weapons since 1994 when lawmakers passed the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act, making it unlawful in most cases to make, transfer or possess semi-automatic assault weapons. Yes, that was actually the law of the land for about a decade until it expired in 2004 and Republicans and George W. Bush refused to renew it that year or since. On a state level, just nine states and the District of Columbia ban large-capacity ammunition magazines. The laws vary from state to state and define the magazines as holding 10 or 15 rounds. Again, the shooter in Dayton had one purchased legally that held 100 rounds as Ohio is one of many GOP-controlled states that refuse to take action against such devices, presumably because, you know, hunters need a magazine with a hundred rounds that can be discharged within seconds to kill ducks and deer, I guess. Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley said Sunday that officers killed the lone suspect in, uh, in the Dayton shooting after he fired for less than a minute and he had additional mag- magazines with him, all perfectly legal in the Buckeye State, when he killed those nine victims. Finally, on Monday, Donald Trump denounced white supremacy in the wake of those twin mass shootings over the weekend, citing the threat of, quote, racist hate. But with no acknowledgement of his own anti-immigrant rhetoric, he said our nation must condemn racism, bigotry and white supremacy. That in White House remarks in one single reference during his 10 minute scripted remarks. But he stopped well short of endorsing the kind the kind of uh, gun safety measures that Democrats have sought for years, instead falling back on longtime Republican tropes like Stronger action needed to address mental illness, violence in the media, and violent video games. He warned of, quote, the perils of the Internet and social media, but he offered no recognition of his own use of those very same platforms to promote his brand of dangerously divisive and racist politics. He took no responsibility for the atmosphere of division, That now exists in our country, nor did he recognize his own reluctance to warn of the rise of white nationalism until now. He called for bipartisan cooperation to respond to an epidemic of gun violence, but he offered few details on possible actions. He said he wants legislation providing, quote, strong background checks for gun users, though he has reneged on previous promises after mass attacks. And while reading from the teleprompter, he made no mention of more limits at all on the sales of actual fire uh, firearms. That all came after two days of barely responding to the shootings at all. Trump suggested earlier on Monday. On Twitter, that a background check bill could be paired with his long sought effort to toughen the nation's immigration system, but he didn't say how or why he was connecting those issues. Both of the shooting suspects here were U.S. citizens, so what does it have to do with toughening the nation's immigration system? He did not elaborate on that proposal during his 10 minute address. Trump's proposed responses attempt to shift blame away from the heated rhetoric coming from the White House and from his own campaign rallies and just leave everything to Congress, uh, which is on recess, to sort out his solutions, whatever they are. He offered few specific solutions to address violence, and he signaled he would oppose large scale gun safety efforts pushed by Democrats, saying, quote, hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. Earlier on Twitter on Monday, Trump seemed to deflect from scrutiny over the manifesto, which had language mirroring some of his own, the manifesto by that shooter in El Paso. He blamed instead the news media for the nation's woes, saying, quote, fake news has contributed greatly to anger and rage that has built up over many years. In recent weeks, the president has issued racist tweets about four women of color who serve in Congress and in rallies. He has spoken of a, quote, invasion at the southern border. Words that were also found in that manifesto said to have been posted online by the El Paso shooter. His reelection strategy has placed racial animus at the forefront in an effort that his aides say is designed to activate his base of voters. One such voter Another white male American citizen who attended many Trump rallies and had a van covered in Donald Trump memorabilia and targets drawn against Democrats and immigrants was sentenced today to 20 years in prison just before airtime. Cesar Sayoc had pleaded guilty to sending pipe bombs to prominent Democrats, media outlets and others who were targeted by Donald Trump. The 57 year old sent 16 improvised explosive devices to 13 targets over two weeks last october in the mail pipe bomb spree last year it was just one of many violent and often deadly crimes by supporters of donald trump since he declared his run for office in 2015 and since he has been the white domestic targeter in chief ever since As noted, mass shootings and homegrown Trump encouraged white domestic terrorism is not the only national security threat that Republican leaders in Congress and the White House year in and year out have simply refused to deal with or apparently even regard as national security issues. Happily, however, that changed at least somewhat about a week or so ago in one Senate committee recently. In a bipartisan consensus, finding that our elections, yes, the only real way that we are ever going to be able to remove lawmakers like Donald Trump and the others who refuse to take action, that our elections now are under risk, are facing a national security threat. Well, add it to the list. Cybersecurity and voting systems expert Rich DeMillo of Georgia Tech joins us next on the broadcast as we continue to sound the alarm on that national security threat, that crisis, as we barrel towards the 2020 election with the first votes to be cast in less than six months from today. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Back on May 5, 2006, more than 13 years ago, I reported at Bradblog.com on what was being described by state officials in Pennsylvania that day as a, quote, security vulnerability discovered on all debold touchscreen electronic voting machines used both in that state and others. As I noted at the time, the newly discovered vulnerability on machines which had passed certification testing at both the federal and state levels and had already been in use for years was so severe that it resulted in a lockdown on all D-Bold systems in Pennsylvania, where early absentee voting was about to begin prior to their upcoming May 16 primary election just about 10 days later. The warning issued by state officials at the time said the serious security vulnerability could allow, quote, unauthorized software to be loaded onto the system. Bev Harris of the nonpartisan election watchdog group Black Box Voting at the time had helped discover the vulnerability and described it to me at the time. Uh, As a, quote, major national security risk. She was not the first to describe our nation's electronic voting and tabulation systems to me at the time as a national security risk. The first to do so, at least to me, and I recall it very well because I was taken aback by it at the time as I was just beginning to report on the dangers of the electronic voting systems proliferating the nation back then, was Dr. David Jefferson of Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in Northern California. The Livermore National Lab describes itself as a premier research and development institution for science and technology applied to national security. Its principal responsibility is in ensuring the safety, security and reliability of the nation's nuclear weapons. The laboratory also applies its special expertise to preventing the proliferation and use of weapons of mass destruction, bolstering homeland security, and solving other nationally important problems, including energy and environment security. Well, Dr. Jefferson of Livermore Labs who has appeared on this show a number of times over the years. He spent years at Livermore, where he became an internationally recognized expert on voting systems and election technology. He has also been an advisor to five successive secretaries of state of Cali- from California, from both major parties, on technology-related issues, specifically on voting technology. He was the first to warn me that the systems proliferating our states for use in American elections were indeed a threat to national security. That was, I believe, back in 2005 or perhaps earlier when he said that to me. But instead of taking action on that national security threat that we've known about for so long ago, just as with gun violence, just as with climate change, Our nation's elected officials, in this case both parties, have by and large ignored the threat as election after election has come and gone with the public losing more and more confidence that results are accurately reported, with little or no way for the public to confirm that the results are accurate. Those same 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen voting systems that were locked down in May of 2006 In Pennsylvania, due to a vulnerability seen as a national security threat, they are those same machines are nonetheless still in use today across the entire state of Georgia and have been used in every election since then. They were used once again last November during the so-called National Blue Tsunami election, where Democrats won all across the country. But surprisingly, they lost in very close races for governor and secretary of state in Georgia, where Democrats were seen as likely to win prior to Election Day. They were also used back in 2016. During the presidential election, when Georgia was seen as a possible swing state that might have finally turned Democratic again for the first time in years, but it did not. That was the same year that Pennsylvania, which still uses unverifiable touchscreen systems across the state and Wisconsin and Michigan, all flipped from blue to red for the first time in decades, just barely. As I have noted many times, if just three votes in each precinct in each of those states had been recorded for Hillary Clinton instead of for Donald Trump, she, not he, would be our president now. Just three votes. And whether that election was gamed by hackers, either foreign or domestic, sadly... We will likely never know since the public was blocked in each of those states from hand counting whatever paper ballots existed or from examining unverifiable voting machines like those used across Pennsylvania. While Democrats in the U.S. House have finally now passed a bill calling for hand marked paper ballots for all voters across the nation, a bill in the U.S. Senate authored by Oregon Senator Ron Wyden, would do the same, but Republican Majority Mitch uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, just like bills on our gun crisis and our climate crisis, will not allow any of those bills to come to the floor for an up or down vote. His refusal to do so, blocking two security-related bills just over a week ago on the same day that the Senate Intelligence Committee released a damning new bipartisan report on the 2016 election, has earned Mitch uh, McConnell the moniker, which he reportedly hates, of Moscow Mitch. That report came just two days after special counsel Robert Mueller was questioned about foreign meddling in American elections by Republican U.S. House member Will Hurd. Many more countries are developing a capability to replicate what the Russians had done.
2: Is this, um, in your investigation, did you think that this was a single attempt by the Russians to get involved in our election, or did you find evidence to suggest they'll try to do this again?
0: Oh, it wasn't a single attempt. Uh, They're doing it as we sit here, and they expect to do it uh, 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 during the the next campaign.
1: So... It's not only Moscow that Americans need to worry about when it comes to this national security risk posed by our nation's election systems. It's every nation and every person, including those in this country, with the ability to hack or even manipulate from the inside such systems, since nobody is allowed to actually oversee the results to assure that they are accurate. Remember, as we discussed just last week on the broadcast, it was one woman who lives with her cats in Seattle, who was able to steal and release the personal financial data of more than 100 million Americans who had applied for credit cards at Capital One, one of the nation's largest financial institutions. As I noted at the time, if they could not protect their data, what chance does Mr. and Ms. County Election Clerk have in doing so? The bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee report released just over a week ago, the day after Mueller's testimony, concluded, according to The New York Times, that election systems in all 50 states were targeted by Russia in 2016, an effort more far reaching than previously acknowledged and one largely undetected by the states and federal officials at the time. The Times went on to observe that, quote, while the bipartisan reports warning that the U.S. remains vulnerable in the next election is clear, its findings were so heavily redacted at the insistence of American intelligence agencies that even some key recommendations for 2020 were blacked out. One recommendation was entirely redacted. One section on findings by the bipartisan Intelligence Committee panel warned Quote, the Russian government directed extensive activity beginning in at least 2014 and carrying into at least 2017 against U.S. election infrastructure at the state and local level. The next section, then, is entirely redacted before the final sentence of the paragraph reads, quote, the committee has seen no evidence that any votes were changed or that any voting machines were manipulated. Of course, the committee, that committee, like Robert Mueller's special counsel office, as we've reported, and indeed like the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, has seen no such evidence. Because, well, among other reasons, as Jeanette Manfra, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's assistant director for cybersecurity, admitted to the Senate Intelligence Panel back in June of 2017 under questioning from Senator Ron Wyden, The DHS never bothered to look.
2: Has the department conducted any kind of post-election forensics on the voting machines that were used in 2016? We have not, our department has not conducted forensics on specific voting machines.
1: And, in fact, nobody has, at least to my knowledge. And... Nobody likely will. And that's why it is so important that we have elections that the public can oversee. And to my knowledge, covering this for about 15 years or more, that can only happen with hand marked paper ballots that we can actually know reflect the will of the voters. Everything else, it seems to me, after all of the years on this on this uh, beat and and apparently to the bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee, everything else presents an intolerable national security risk to our nation's elections, even as we head into another presidential election year. Joining us now to discuss that Senate report, what we might learn from it, and what, if anything, election officials around the country are actually doing to take this national security threat seriously. Is Richard DeMillo. He is a professor of computing, of computing and the former dean of computing at Georgia Tech, where he has directed Georgia Tech's Information Center. Prior to joining Georgia Tech, he was Hewlett Packard's chief. Technology Officer and held a leadership position at the National Science Foundation. His research contributions include computer security, cryptography, and software engineering. He has served on several different boards for cybersecurity and privacy companies and organizations, including the Verified Voting Foundation. And he has served as an election observer, thank you, on behalf of the Carter Center, which is based in Atlanta. Professor Rich DeMillo welcome back to the broadcast sir hey Brad I know that you were uh, out of the country over the past week or so on what was supposed to be a bit of a vacation but you have a funny way of uh, stepping away from it all rich uh, you read the full Senate report while you were overseas or at least what whatever was not redacted what are your key takeaways from that report from the US Senate
0: uh, a little light reading on vacation yeah um <laughs> so it's it's uh it's a it's a frustrating report to read. The um the upshot which I think you summarized pretty pretty well is is stuff that has been known uh around the election integrity community for, for a while. Mm-hmm. The the difficulty is is that there are these tropes that, that government agencies keep keep returning to. We find no evidence that votes were were, were changed. Mm-hmm. Um and as you pointed out that's maybe because no one has looked for it. Or, or, or maybe it's because no one has said how much evidence would be enough if this, were, if this were a criminal investigation, you know we'd have a piece of paper that says if we get uh, uh, evidence of motive and opportunity and, and, and we find that the, that the silver has been pawned in the local pawn shop, that's pretty good evidence mm-hmm. that, that not only a crime was committed, but this person had something something to do with it. We don't have anything like that in this area.
1: There was one section in the recommendation section that was entirely redacted uh, other than a few words in the section header that was reading, quote, build a credible, and then it was blacked out. Build a credible what? Do you have any idea what that refers to, uh, Rich?
0: Well, I, I was at the, the 2017 uh, hearing where where Jeanette Manfred said, said mm-hmm. that they hadn't looked, and, you know, I can only guess what's blacked out there, but my... My kind of gut tells me that that there's a lot of temporizing that's taking place here. That that they're trying to make the case that well, all these other things would have had to happen uh, in order for uh, for uh, an outcome-changing event to to have have taken taken place. Um, and and without seeing what the what the reasoning is, we can only only guess at at that. But but there there is just a, a massive amount of evidence on the other side that not only were the systems targeted. Uh, and in some cases penetrated, um, but it would take an extraordinarily altruistic spy to, to resist the opportunity of doing something nasty once they got into these systems. Uh, uh,
1: wh- what do you mean by that? You mean that it would have to be someone whose job was to, to be a spy, to be a hacker, but decided, oh, this is so easy, but I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to change votes, uh, not going to take people out of the voter registration system, etc.?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so, what what would be the motivation in in doing that? If you're if you're in the espionage business, if you're mm-hmm. if you're in the, in the in the spy business, all of the risk is bundled into getting access to the thing that you want to get to get access to. Not going that final step, which is relatively risk free, uh, of, of of carrying out the mission that you were there to to accomplish, um, just seems to me to strain credibility. Now, now, maybe it's the case. And the, the report makes makes this point in a number of places. Maybe it's maybe it's the case that that they're there to sow doubt, confusion, to undermine the credibility of the the, the system. Uh, but that's speculation too, unless unless the, the national security agencies have have access to information that's under that that blacked out portion of the report that they're simply mm-hmm. not going to share with us
1: so i mean because part of the part of their assessment is that they yes they were able to get in uh but we don't think they did anything but maybe they could do something later that's what you're talking about by uh an, a, a spy who who doesn't take action once they get in maybe this is a setup for a future election
0: could be yep yep that's one of the things that you
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: th- that you think about the, the other thing is that there's a, um uh, how do I how do I put this? There's there's I think a not a long game view of of what might be taking place. So we're seeing in Georgia here the effects of um, uh, of, of a really weird outcome in the 2018 uh, election mm-hmm. for for Georgia governor. Mm-hmm. Not at the at the gubernatorial level, but at the lieutenant governor right. level, where you you have you have a statistically anomalous result and. and you know i know people use the word anomaly a, a lot, lot and they throw it around uh without without defining it. i i'm using it in, in a statistical sense that, mm-hmm. that that statisticians have looked at at the um at the saramico uh lieutenant governor's race where 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 she lost by uh, a margin of votes that strangely corresponded to votes that are missing right. from 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 the uh uh from the from the the count. and and people like philip stark Professional statisticians have taken a look at this and said, you know, the probability of that happening uh, on its own, mm-hmm. just, just by chance, uh, is about 1 in 10,000, which which means that, that, that there are lots and lots of other things that we know are much more likely to have occurred than this weird accident that, that took place in November of 2000.
2: Yeah,
1: that yeah. weird that weird accident. We've, we've spoken with uh, Marilyn Marks, who I know you uh, work with and you know well, uh, included hundred and twenty something thousand votes that just weren't there for some reason they were there in the Senate in the uh, uh, governor's race they were there in uh, farther down the ticket but for lieutenant governor they just disappeared on these very touch screens and it's one of the reasons I mentioned uh, Pennsylvania because that warning from back in 2006 was on the very same Diebold touchscreen machines they were using in 2006 they're still using them in Georgia.
0: They are. They, they are. And, and unless the federal court intervenes, mm-hmm. um, they'll be using them in the, in the uh, elections this fall. Uh,
1: what struck me about this Senate report, I want to get to uh, what is actually being done in states like Georgia and so forth, but I want to stick with the Senate report for a minute. Uh, the one one of the things that jumped out at me, since I was familiar with a lot of what it already said, but what it didn't say—the blacked-out stuff—we uh, are talking about public election systems. The you know the the one thing that the public has to hold our elected officials in check—that's our elections—and yet the public was not allowed to see a lot of this material. This this seems symptomatic, frankly, uh, Rich Demillo, of our entire election system right now: security by obscurity, keeping things a secret from the public uh, somehow in the name of security. As someone who worked in this field for years, both in academic settings and commercial settings, as head of uh, Hewlett-Packard's, uh, as, as the, your, their chief technology officer, does security by obscurity actually work, whether it's election systems or anything else from your experience?
0: So it's, it's built into the fabric of cybersecurity. That, that the least effective way to keep things secret is to make the way that you keep them secret secret uh, because because what you're what you're doing in that case is relying on the fact that that your adversary has special knowledge that you can guarantee that that um, your, your, average, your adversary would have to have access to special knowledge that you can guarantee that he doesn't have have access to and and, and that's always a bad assumption because because if you're transferring a secret from person A to person B um there are many ways to do that and, and and one way one way to to do that is to pay person A a lot of money uh and and all of the big security breaches uh in in US history at least in the in, in the 20th century mm-hmm. have been the result of some trusted person being handed a wad of cash mm-hmm. uh and and therefore giving access to um um um, to the Soviets or the Russians, in in, in this mm-hmm. case, or the Israeli government, I guess, in one case. Um, so, so there are there are lots and lots of low tech ways of getting the needed information in the hands of the of the adversary. So when you talk about. I'm going to keep the system secure by not telling you how it's built. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is banking on the fact that no one has done that, that no one has reverse engineered the system, that no one has gone through the maybe hundreds of ways of figuring out what you did because they're... Mm -hmm. Frankly speaking, just as smarter or smarter than you
1: are. And am I out of line to say that? Because uh, we're talking about you know the foreign threats and wads of cash, uh, you know, given to spies or hackers or something. As a matter of fact, Jimmy Carter. Since I mentioned the Carter Center, Jimmy Carter put out a report years ago uh, after the 2000 election in which they stated that insiders have the uh, are like in any other industry. Insiders are the, in fact the greatest threat to elections. That wad of cash doesn't need to go to a, a, a foreigner. It can also be an election insider, an election official, an election contractor, correct? That also presents uh, an even easier way to manipulate these systems, does it not?
0: Yeah, and I, look, I, I've always thought that, that that was that that was a real obvious vulnerability. Um, even in, in the face of the arguments from election officials that we vet our people, we do background checks, on them, every time we look under those covers, what we find out is that there's almost no due diligence that's taking that's taking place. that that, that the people that we entrust with these with these systems in the first place don't understand the systems, have never been briefed on the uh, on on the on the threats. And we have no idea what their background and, and motivations are. We just found out in Georgia through public testimony in um, uh, in in federal court. That, that everything that the Secretary of State's office was telling us about who builds the ballots for the mm-hmm. Diebold machines in the state mm-hmm. uh, was not true. That, that, that they, they have been claiming for years and years that they have this trusted team, uh, highly trained professionals that build the ballots and load the, the, the magnetic cards that go into the, mm-hmm. the the voting machines. It turns out, it turns out that they have three guys in a garage right. that, that that are not even being paid directly. By the state of georgia they're being paid by Debol well not Debol because debol doesn't exist anymore but e s n s the the company that's vending that that mm-hmm. that product um so so everything that they tell you about the security of their of their infrastructure and how well they vet the, the against the insider threat turns out not to be the case. And and that story is repeated over and yeah. over again around the country.
1: Yeah, and uh, Marilyn actually broke that story. Marilyn Marks broke that story on this show about a, a week ago, about the three guys in the garage who program every voting machine in the state of Georgia. But we don't have to worry about that. I'm sure nobody offered them wads of cash to do anything untoward. Uh, Rich, do you, do you agree with the, the various assessments that I described in, in my opening there, including one by your... Uh, your colleague on the board at uh, watchdogverifiedvoting.org, that's David Jefferson. That this is actually a real matter of national security at this point. Do you see it that way?
0: I I I do I I, I, I do. It, it's a it's an accident of history that our election system is stitched together from um, um, from from these local pieces that are in the hands of of ordinary ordinary citizens and and. As you as you read what went into the Constitution and 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 the the subsequent legislation, it's the kind of thing that has been patched over the over the years. You know, we had to mm-hmm. give the right uh, to to vote to people that are not mentioned in the Constitution. We had to make sure that that everyone who's a citizen has an equal protection uh, of the right to vote and all of that stuff that wasn't in the in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 as this thing has evolved, I think it's it, it's evolved assuming. That elections are kind of what they were uh, in the the late 18th century. Um, we're not in that era uh, anymore. We're in an era where the tools can be turned against uh, the citizens, where where the results of an election in an entire jurisdiction uh, can be changed with literally the flip of a flip of a switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my my sense of alarm is, is that it's extraordinarily difficult to educate the voting public. Um, about this, partially because we, those of us who are, are, are technicians and engineers, um, want to talk about the technical details and, and, and make scientific arguments. And it's very hard to make a bottom line argument to to someone who doesn't have an hour to go through all the the, the reasons. It's not mm-hmm. uh, it's not dissimilar to what ha- what happens in the climate change discussion. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you if you want to look at the the detailed mathematical analysis of the climate change models. It's beyond the reach of the ordinary citizen. And so you have to ask yourself, how do you carry out that kind of broad education campaign? We're facing the same thing with elections.
1: Oh, don't I know it. Uh, Here was... uh uh, Democratic Senator Ron Wyden speaking about that U.S. Uh, uh, Senate intelligence report, which he, he by the way, he voted against. He was the sole vote uh, dissenting vote on that report because he felt it did not go far enough. Here he is explaining uh, in a nutshell why he voted against it.
2: I've had plenty of differences of opinion with my colleagues. I was um, the one no vote on the election security report because I thought there needed to be a more activist role The federal government. When you're getting attacked by the Russians, you don't send the county IT person out there to fight um, the Russians. Uh,
1: Rich DeMillo, I follow your work closely on Twitter and uh, the various landmark reports that you have put out with your own colleagues of late. Uh, And I want to. So I'm curious. uh, You talk to a lot of uh, academics, you talk to a lot of election officials, uh, and these academics who are supposedly experts in this field. Uh, relying on election officials uh, do do any of these folks in your experience or do all of them uh, appreciate the national security threat and the need for the public to be able to oversee their own elections in your experience
0: I think it's very unevenly distributed in that in that world I I, I, I created a, a ruckus a few weeks ago when i relayed a conversation i had had uh in a a largely rural state mm-hmm. uh with election officials who who just happened to to mention in an open meeting um that 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 the the computers that they use to program their ballots were housed on laptop computers that were in the houses of people without any any security clearances no no special um, no special security mm-hmm. um, uh, infrastructure uh and, and in fact, they were in places where the internet connections were so bad that that, that some of those people had to go to the local Starbucks in order oh to connect boy. to the the internet um uh. and and you know I, I my jaw kind of dropped to the to to the floor and I looked around the room uh and I saw lots of people nodding these were election officials mm-hmm. in that um in that in that state. Um, and and you know every time every time I have an experience like that, my my reaction is, well, we need to kind of dissect what the statement is and make sure that the people who are responsible for elections in that jurisdiction understand what's going on and 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 make sure that changes are, are made. We'll see if that happens. Uh, in these cases, but I'm I'm getting less and less optimistic that that's going to happen.
1: The uh, I mentioned the bills uh, that were being blocked by uh, Mitch McConnell. A lot of these bills uh, call for more money for so-called uh, you know upgraded systems. Now, uh, one of them, Ron Wyden's bill, actually would uh, theoretically mandate uh, a hand marked paper ballot uh, across the country. That would be good, but is. Throwing more money at at this problem, the answer to it, it doesn't seem, you know, there's already, I think, $380 million or something has been given to states around the country to upgrade their systems. But as we are seeing, they are upgrading them rich. To uh, these computer touchscreen ballot marking devices, which you have decried in uh, in an important report, by the way, called Ballot Marking Devices Cannot Assure the Will of the Voters. Is uh, the issue here uh, money or is it understanding how elections need to work and that really it's it's public oversight that provides the security we need uh, in this national security issue?
0: So I, I think it's a complicated question, Brad. I, I I I think money, additional money would would help, but but not the kind of money that we're that we're talking about today, which is just going to buy. You know, it's just like it's like buying better filters for mm-hmm. cigarettes. Um, you know, that that kind of thing isn't isn't going to make a dent on what the real problem is. What we don't have is 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 a trusted um, a, a trusted body. We 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 we, we don't have. We don't have the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. We don't have um, the um, um, the, um, uh, the 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 kind of organization that Sam Nunn runs that's that's tracking tracking nuclear mm-hmm. fuel around around the world. We 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 don't we don't have people that we we may not understand exactly what they're what they're doing on a on a daily basis, mm-hmm. um, but we've entrusted with them uh, as a as a country. Um, um, with knowledge and funding to make sure that 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 the complicated stuff that they're dealing with doesn't come back to to bite us, we simply don't don't have that. I don't think that's going to happen by continuing the current decentralized model. I, I think I think we need a, a stronger federal role. I think it's the kind of role that Wyden uh, is is envisioning mm-hmm. uh, for this. I, I don't have a specific proposal there, but I can tell you right right now that that as I as I listen to people talking technically about election security um, i have grave doubts about the independence of the work that they're um, that they're reporting on because this is work that is funded by and large uh... by the industry or by people that have a vested interest in the in the outcome we don't have uh, a big program at the national science foundation uh-huh. on election security that guarantees the independence uh... of the of the researchers we don't have the ability when people publish articles uh, to have them make declarations about what their potential conflicts uh, of interest are. I, I think you're having this issue in Los Angeles with your mm-hmm. with your new voting uh, voting system, and I think yep. it's going to come back to bite you.
1: Yeah, and when you talk, I, I agree. And when you talk about the industry funding, what we're to, to be clear, we're talking about the pro, the private for-profit corporate. Uh, election voting system vendors. Uh, They're the only ones with uh, the money in this, and I don't think that people understand or appreciate that there are, in fact, no federal mandatory standards for voting systems. Uh, There are some voluntary guidelines that were issued way back in 2005. That is it. That is it. Everything else is pretty much left up to Mr. and Ms. County Election Clerk, as I noted. Uh, Rich, I'm running late here. Uh, I I don't know if you have a recommendation on this or not, but do you have any advice for folks listening to this show today, uh, hopefully horrified by what they are hearing, uh, what they can do to either help move this fight in the right direction in their local jurisdictions or otherwise help Oversee elections to counteract the national security threat that uh, is currently present.
0: So I'm, I'm going to go back to 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 the 60s and and, and say that the thing that moved the needle uh, in the 60s with the Vietnam War was 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 the involvement of of professionals educating the public as to what was what was going on. So as funny as it sounds, I'm going to say we need people to go to the verified voting website, call up some of those advisors, get them to come in to talk to civic groups. We need teach ins, we need sit ins, we need we, we need we need people to start understanding exactly what's happening to our democratic processes. That's not an easy uh an easy fix. There's mm-hmm. no magic key that you can turn that's gonna make that make that happen. But I think that's a necessary first step.
1: Uh, Very good. And I, yeah, I mean, educating the public. That's what we try to do here every day on this program, uh, because I think an educated public taking this to the local level and trying to take action. So far, we've seen actions uh, have some success in places like North Carolina, New York, Georgia. But it's been up to the public. Don't wait for someone else to fix this problem. Uh, Richard DeMillo uh, of verifiedvoting.org, also professor of computing at Georgia Tech. Prior to that, uh, chief technology officer at Hewlett Packard, Rich Demillo. Always great talking with you, my friend, and I suspect we'll be bothering you again in the not too distant future. Great, looking forward to it, Brad. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Okay, quick break, and we are back, running terribly late. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Okay, I wildly overshot. My apologies for that. Uh, it's one of those days. So I have yes. to say hello and goodbye and thank you to Desi Doyen in yes. one shot.
2: Hello, goodbye.
1: All right, and you're welcome. That is it. My thanks, of course, to Rich DeMillo and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion, of today's broadcast or any other. You can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, and that is thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on your public airwaves. We really rely on you and only you. bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.